Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're going to talk you through the plot of each book. But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission. And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. The tea has been spilled, or whatever the kids say nowadays. Tea is hot. Oh, right? I see, I thought this was a tea party kind of thing. Like, we're in the Boston Harbor, but now yeah. it's a different thing. Throw that shit in the sea, because fuck taxes or something. I don't know. So, something really interesting, I just found out about this, has almost nothing to do with whatever we're talking about. But um, the tea that they had in the Boston Harbor wasn't like tea bags or like loose leaf tea. They were like compressed bricks of tea leaves, and like one of those bricks could last a family for like six months or something insane like that. And so, like, when they were throwing the tea in the harbor, it wasn't like, oh, no, we lost one shipment of tea. It was like they lost, like, a million dollars worth of tea. All right. Well. Very impressive. I didn't know until recently. That makes the whole thing much more impactful. It raises the the stakes, as it were. Yeah. It's, I thought that was really cool. It's a much bigger fuck you. It, It was a huge fuck you. It wasn't like a mild fuck you. It was like a gigantic massive fuck you there's also something to do with taxes on like i know they were protesting them but there's something like tea was extra tax so like it was worth even more. it was a whole thing the boss <laughs> breaking news the boston harbor tea thing was was a huge deal <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, god well, this has been animorphs anonymous history corner thank you for joining us today and talking about the tea and um we're not gonna stop we're gonna continue to talk about world war one and world war two oh no but that was like two books ago but it's also this book yay let us let's continue to to drill in the idea that jake is an army general as it were yes uh that is like we didn't draw a clear enough line for you here so now we're Mm -hmm. gonna draw the line draw it in permanent marker and then highlight it throw the markers down and stare at you across from this book angrily (laughs) until you get it yeah we we were being too subtle before now it's time to get (laughs) fucking literal with this shit We were far too subtle with every other book we've done let's hit you over the head with the violence now oi yeah, um, that's pretty much how this book goes, but I mean that in a somewhat positive way, question mark. Uh, I was just reading this book, and I was just like, I don't know how much more of this I can take. We're only halfway through this shit, <laughs> and I'm just so broken inside. I mean... I'll just keep telling you what I've been telling you since the series started. It gets worse. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, we're we're over halfway through, if that helps. Barely, but we are over halfway through. Yeah. Um, Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't like it. I don't. Leave those kids alone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yes and, and no. Leave the kids alone, but also understand that they're not really, like, kids anymore. And I'm going to continue to refer to them as kids because that's what they physically are and should mentally are and should not be going through any of this. It's like they're old souls. It's almost like they're old souls. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, I guess I just better start talking about this instead of talking around it. Uh, Jake opens up this book by talking about war and how intense war is. And um, he gives us the download on the Yerks and how they're taking over people's bodies and stealing their lives and all that shit. Uh, And then he talks about how this isn't like World War II, though, where there were battlefields. This is a secret war, and that's why it's different. And by the way, we're going to have a conversation at the end about the difference between World War I and World War II. Um, (laughs) History corner part two. Yeah, which based on my explanation of like the 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 tea revolt in the Boston Harbor, it's not going to go well. But here we are. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, he gives us the rundown on morphing, including the dangers of it, like you know how Tobias got stuck in his hawk body and all the usual stuff that we need to know. Um, this eventually leads to uh, him telling us about his grandpa G. G stands for great. Is his great grandpa, or if you go with how they've named him, Grandpa Great. Grandpa uh, Great. Grandpa Great. Uh, R.I.P. Who once, when Jake was very little, told him that he had an old soul. Yeah. Jake didn't know what that meant then, but now he's like, I feel like I've grown very old because of the war. That's he's just chapter tired. One. He's just tired. He's just really so fucking tired. tired. Just fucking tired. I get it. I get it. I'm tired. We're all tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So Jake gets home to his mom. This is where we like plop into the middle of Animorphs Universe. Welcome to the street outside of Jake's house. He's probably walking home from school. It's fine. Um, he gets home to his mom running out of the house and into a taxi and she's crying and Jake starts panicking like, oh my God, what happened to my dad or Tom? Are they hurt? Are they dead? What's going on? And Jake starts freaking out and gets this super squeaky high voice and is like, what's wrong, mom? (laughs) His mom like pauses from her shit show to let him know that she's on her way to catch a flight. (laughs) (laughs) It's her shit show. Her emotional expression, aka a shit show. Oh, sorry. You're right. I shouldn't marginalize people's emotions (laughs) about people. (laughs) She lost her father. Technically, it was her grandfather. It's his great grandpa. So, not that that makes us any better. Why did I say it like that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! Why am I so emotionally stunted as a person? (laughs) (laughs) okay whatever his great grandpa's dead (laughs) (laughs) he's fucking dead he's fucking dead life ends we're all gonna die oh my god oh jeez this went dark this this got real harsh real fast oh well Um, jake does not have good luck with uh, losing relatives as of late 
I mean, this one was of natural causes. Although, okay, I will say, this one was natural causes, but part of the note that his mom left on the fridge mentioned that he had a heart attack and died, and he didn't even get to finish his toast that he had just buttered. And I'm like, who writes that in a note on a fridge? Yeah, that's weirdly specific. I don't even know. (laughs) Uh... She left a note on the fridge. We've already covered that. It explains to Jake what happened, but she's like, your great-grandfather died of a heart attack, and his caretaker found him. Um, And Jake's like, all right, walks into the house to read this note on the fridge, which had, like, an apple magnet, which was very 90s. (laughs) Appreciated that note. Um, And then a minute later, Jake's dad and Tom burst in, and they're, like, mid-argument. Tom's fucking pissed. Jake's dad is telling Tom, like, you have to come with us. You cannot miss this funeral. What the fuck? And Jake's, like, listening in on this, like, why is Tom being such an asshat? And uh, (laughs) (laughs) he quickly deduces that it's because Tom has a yerk in his head who needs to feed every three days. So Jake's like, how long will we be gone? And Jake's dad is like, four days. Oh. Uh, Oh. Tom looks murderous. Um, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Full Nice choice of words there. Yes. (laughs) Um, so Jake de-escalates the situation by, like, telling Tom, like, hey, it's actually, you know, the cabin's not so bad. There's a lake. It's relaxing. And Tom's just like, you're a fucking idiot, Jake. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. Pretty much. And then Jake's dad's like, how about we get a pizza? And Jake's like, if there's pizza, I'm in. Because this is the 90s. This is the 90s. Pizza's awesome. Pizza's radical. radical. Oh, my God. Um, But in his head, he's hoping for death to Tom's yerk. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. The the inner dialogue of, like, the, what are you going to do now, yerk? Huh, yerk? Die, yerk, you piece of shit. Like, throughout the whole book, I was like, (laughs) Calm down. Fucking intense. The internal dialogue in this whole book is very intense. And 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 it's been seen before in in Jake's books. Mm-hmm. Like it's been kind of dropped as as a little crumb trail, as it were. And now it's just like intensifying, and it's terrifying. Yeah, and there's um. I mean, I'll talk about this in a later chapter too when it's more relevant. But like. It, it makes so much sense why this book would be like that. Why this would be the book where it just, like, like the floodgates just open. Yeah. So, after a terrible dinner where Tom did everything he could think of to get going, like, get out of the trip because, you know, four days. Um, <laughs> Jake's dad was just like, nope, 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 you're coming. Don't be a dick. You have to come to this thing. Uh, and so Jake was like, all right, I got to get out of this tense house. And so he goes on a walk and he just kind of automatically starts heading towards Marco house, Marco's house. He was like, I really want to talk to Cassie, but like, whatever. And then Marco sees him walking and Marco yells, yo! And there's this weird, like, half-page dialogue where they're like, you say yo now? Like, yo is a thing that you do? That's weird. And Marco's like, well, I wanted to say like, hey, beautiful, but thought you'd find that weird. So I guess yo is what it, like, I don't so, understand. So... There was, I, that made me remember in, I think, Marco's David book, mm-hmm. where he David's walking down the hall and Marco yells, yo, and then he kind of goes, huh, I'm not usually the kind of guy who says yo. So I feel like the ghostwriter, like, went back and, like, read 
some of the old books and then just like brought that back in. I don't know. I feel like this ghostwriter was very dedicated to the series, and I believe uh-huh. um, this ghostwriter has written for us before. Let's take a quick look. It was, uh-huh. um, if I remember off the top of my head, Lauren Beatty Weiss. Uh, don't remember that's i believe that is her name i will look it up for sure in just a second but um i do so believe that she has written for us before and if only i could find yes uh she did she wrote the squid book rachel's book the exposed noise so this is the first time we're getting a comeback writer and um yeah, and I think she did, like, she did a good job with that book, even though I believe we rated it as our least favorite in that run. Yeah, because some of, I felt like some of Rachel's tone was off in that book, if I remember. Yeah. Oh, oh and that's when that's when Jake did that stupid fucking thing that I hated, that I ranted about. Yeah, and there's absolutely a few moments in this book that read like that, but I think sure. she got Jake's tone much better. Oh my god, she did a great job. I yeah. just, ugh. I agree. I think she she did much better this time, and I think she really um, was just more familiar overall with the Animorphs universe in this book, because there's a lot of pieces from other books that like come back in this book. Uh-huh. So I really appreciated that. So I was I was glad to have her back on this on this one. Yeah. Yeah. And sorry guys, I know we didn't play the game, but Casey's iPad book spoiled our game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it That's says okay. it right right on the first page and it's like, "All right. I guess Thanks. we're doing this now." <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Oh well. Um, yeah. Anyway, so Marco is apparently the kind of guy that would say yo. I think he just needs to rethink his whole I'm not the kind of guy that says yo. Clearly he is. (laughs) I'm not the kind of guy. (laughs) This Uh, is a consequence of the war. He says yo now. What? This is, this is what he gets. PTSD makes you say yo. (sighs) Oh, shit. Um. Yeah, whatever. So Marco says, yo, fucking weird-ass conversation about that. And then Jake's like, my grandpa's dead. And Marco's like, oh, no. And then they just walk back to Jake's house. And oh, no. <laughs> it, that yeah. was basically it. Like, Marco kind of sympathizes, but, like, it was, like, kind of like, oh, and I killed my mom, like, a week ago. Oh, God. Like, whatever, Jake. He's no more <laughs> fucks to give. <laughs> Like, Marco in this book has no more fucks to give. His fucks have runneth very dry. I fucking, oh god. Marco and Jake in this book just like, chef's kiss. (laughs) Let me do the chef's kiss and then say chef's kiss. Well, obviously, that's how you have to do it. We're on audio here. I couldn't picture the hand if you didn't say chef's kiss. What if I did like, mwah? No, no, I need still, to, I need still, you to tell that's me. That's still awkward. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Otherwise, sorry. it just feels like you're trying to kiss me, and I, I mean, I mean that's fine, <laughs> but <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Woo. Oh man, we are suffering from something. <laughs> yes, something, something's happening tonight. Something has gone awry. Yeah. Apologies. All right. So, Marco. No apologies. No more fucks. Marco, no more fucks. They go to the house, 
And Jake's like, oh no, I have a feeling something's bad. And then he realizes his dad's car is nowhere to be seen. He's like, well, that's fucking weird. And uh, then, like, he's looking around like, oh, God, this just feels off. And Marco's like, oh, you left them alone, didn't you? And Jake's like, motherfucker. I did leave them alone. So that's Jake. I can't Jake. believe you've done this. I can't believe you've done this, Jake. So <sighs> he slams the door open in the house and starts yelling, like, hello. But uh, there's nobody home. There's only silence. So Jake goes to the kitchen to check for a note because we found out that Jake's family writes notes. Um, and he doesn't immediately find one, but he notices the note on the fridge from his mom with the weird death details is askew. Uh, and then like something about the magnet falling to the floor. I didn't really get this part. It was a little confusing. Mm. Um, and so Jake's like, whatever. He checks the garbage can and sure enough, on top of like banana peels and all the shit they've dumped in there, there is a crumpled up note. So Jake takes it, smooths it out. And it's from his dad saying to Jake that like, hey, we just went to the sharing. So we so I can explain to everybody why Tom can't be there over the weekend. And um, Jake starts freaking out. And Marco just like sweeps in, grabs the note, recrumples it, throws it out, puts everything back where it was. He's like, we need to cover our tracks. And then Jake's like, I'm going to call him. And he goes to grab the phone to, like, call Eric the cheat to be like, hey, you got to help us. And Marco's like, not your fucking house phone. We've been through this. <laughs> oh, my God. This is basic shit, Jake. Basic shit. Jake just loses his goddamn mind. And I... Marco is like, dude. I fucking love this, though. Like, I love how, you know, Jake, when it comes to his family, he just, like, loses all sense of responsibility and logic and he's just like a fucking mess yeah like, and marco marco of all people is the one who has to calm him down in this moment I love it and you know what at first i was like i don't know if jake would be like this like i feel like jake is actually pretty good in situations where there's pressure so like <laughs> I don't know that he'd lose it this much, but then as this author reminded me later in the book and brought it all back full circle, the whole reason Jake joined this war was for his brother because his Mm -hmm. brother was a controller. So, like, it makes total fucking sense that he would lose his shit. Mm -hmm. And it made me think of back in Jake's first book when Marco first suggested that Tom might be a controller. Jake, like, punched him. Yeah, he did. And Marco just like calmly threw a blanket over him and was like, dude, just listen (laughs) to me. And I was having flashbacks to that scene in this scene, except it's much more like heightened and terrible and not funny. But like, yeah, wow, it's yeah, it's a lot more mature now for sure. Yeah. I still think the blanket trick would work, though. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, it it's brutal. And like you can feel it when you're reading it you can feel the tension just mm-hmm. ramping and ramping as this happens mm-hmm. um yeah yeah uh so marco's like let's get outside let's get to the payphone we can't do this in here so they run to the nearest payphone which in the 90s i'm assuming wasn't that far <laughs> and <laughs> now it's very far <laughs> uh and they call eric and eric is also at a loss he's like what do you want me to do exactly? And he's like, we can't like stop them. We're undercover. And uh, 
Jake's like, oh, my dad has a cell phone. And both Marco and Eric are like, no, you can't call his cell phone. He'll know it's you when you talk to him. And then Eric, I think, is the one that says something like, well, you don't have to talk. Just call. Let them talk. And we'll try to triangulate them. And they're like, okay, great. So That's how the police do it. That's how the police do it. I don't think that's... Well, it might be how the police do it. There's probably or multiple the ways. FBI, like tracing a call? Yeah, but Maybe. normally they just wait for the person to call and just tap the line. I don't think they, oh. like, make fake phone calls to people and just sit breathing on the other end of the phone. That's like serial killers, not FBI. <laughs> I'm thinking of that scene in National Treasure when they they made him call the people. Or no, the people called him and then they, they tapped the line. I don't know. Fuck it. Nicholas Cage. Yeah, I mean, hey, they steal the Declaration of Independence. They can That's do anything. That's not realistic. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh Christ! Oh man. no! <laughs> I like we <laughs> have national treasure as my point of reference. <laughs> I uh, yeah, it's. I want to say that's my point of reference, but like I can't even watch National Treasure and the movie. Okay, I can. I can enjoy it objectively. But the movie gave me such anxiety for escape rooms for so long because I thought they were going to be like National Treasure. And I'm like, that's way too hard. I don't know any facts. Oh. And now I love escape rooms. I think they're great. And I feel like Nicolas Cage really clipped my wings for a long time. So, so there, there is an escape room in the town that I live close to. Um, and it is um, kind of like the Founding Fathers themed Oh, God. So when you come visit me, we could go do that and you can so live out your anxiety. Oh, this is my nightmare. Oh, my nightmare. American history. How do? <laughs> They're going to be like, what bell has a crack in it? Ah, patriotic. <laughs> ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one like freedom. God damn it. <laughs> the freedom Anyways. bell. Anyways. <laughs> the freedom bell. It's, you know, the one with the life and the pursuit of happiness. What the fuck? <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, Jesus. Um, so, Tom picks up the phone because Jake's dad didn't pick up the phone. I assume because he was driving and he's like, let's be responsible. <laughs> like, the PSA land is back, but not really. Thank you. Don't drink and drive. Don't, Don't drink and drive. Don't. <laughs> yeah what what's the one the uh the phone one the put it down something like that put it down don't drown no let's turn around don't, don't drown, drown. <laughs> wait what turn around what is turn around turn don't around drown? don't drown so um i don't know it's something to do with flooding i should probably learn that is it a monster wait like like when a tsunami comes in like, like, don't like a hurricane. follow the water. Yeah, it's something to do with if you see some form of water doing something, just turn around. I don't it's know. It's got to be receding. Never follow receding water. Yeah, 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 because it'll get swept away. Yeah, because you, well, because it comes back and yeah. you don't want to be there when it comes back. Watch out for cars. Watch out for cars, yeah. Um, and power lines and shit. Anyway. Um, yes. It can wait, I think, is the phone one. It's better left unread than dead. Dead. 
Better yeah. unread than dead? There you go. So, <laughs> Thank you, anyways. New Age nursery rhymes. Yeah. That have obviously stuck in our skulls. Oh, man. There was one, not to derail us further, but there was one that <laughs> I was um, driving my non-United Statesian or North American co-workers um, oh, and no. English is not their first language. And, like, there was one thing on the highway that was, like, it was, like, this weird, like, you know how they always do those, like, funny sayings that are actually PSAs? Like, you yeah. know? Don't, you had, whatever. But they had one that was, like, about cell phones specifically. And it was, like, some, like, supposed to be cutesy little joke that basically said, don't use your cell phone. And one of them turns to me and they're, like, what does that even mean? And I'm, like... <laughs> Oh, it's just like a sign that says like don't use your cell phone. They're like, why? Like, <laughs> you're <laughs> still reading a sign. Like, what the fuck? It's like I don't still know. Still distracted driving, right? You know, hey. And then a lady almost careened into the side of us. So hey, hey. Oh, anyways, uh, right. Um, they don't drive distracted, and then. Tom, after he picks up the phone, he's like, yo, what's up? He probably doesn't say, yo, we established already. That's <laughs> he's bad. Not, they don't do that in these books. They don't do that in these books. And Jake, like, opens his mouth to say hi back, just, like, as a reflex. And, Marco and Marco's like, nope. Phone away. Marco's like, you idiot. Like, come on. He, just, um, he keeps fumbling so much. He fumbles a lot in this book. And then he gets scared about fumbling, and then he fumbles again. Yeah. I guess... Yeah. I guess sometimes it is a little unbelievable now that you mention it. Yeah, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to push on that aspect, but here we sure. are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's there's a few moments where I was like, why why is this happening? But hmm. who am I? Who am I to judge? Who am I? <laughs> Uh, so anyways, Marco, like, listens for a moment, and then Tom hangs up, because, like, nobody's saying anything, and Eric's like, I can triangulate their location to a large part of town that is 0% helpful. (laughs) Um, and he's like, yeah, there's, like, some stores, there's a mechanic shop, there's a mini mall, and there's 75 houses. And Jake's like, that's so many houses where they could be. Um, and Marco's like, well, just play the odds and pick one. And Jake's like, all right. And he tells Eric to like, get Rachel and the others and then hangs up. He's like, there will be time for thank yous later if his idiot plan works. Um, so they start morphing. Uh, Jake goes to Peregrine. Marco goes to Osprey. And Jake's like, bye, Marco. I'm going to leave you because I'm faster. And Marco's basically like, oh, Jesus Christ, whatever. So he like stops Jake for a second. (laughs) And Jake thinks he's going to say something like, you know, be careful or, like, something like that. But Marco just goes, we're with you. And um, I think that was a very sweet moment after Marco's last book where Jake took that choice out of his hands. Yeah. Yeah. Marco's just, like, taking all this, like, rage and abuse from Jake and just kind of, like, diffusing it. And it's just like, oh, champion. Yeah, I appreciate it so much after Jake in the last book did not let him make that horrific Mm -hmm. move and, like, kill his mom. Like, it's really... I don't know if Marco thought he'd be, like, paying it back this fast. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. Um, But it keeps getting better. Marco keeps getting better because uh, Jake 
flies up as high as high as he can possibly go because he knows from Tobias that like altitude equals speed. So he goes as high as he can and then goes into a dive and he's going faster than he has ever gone before. So we know probably way over 200 miles an hour. He is going speeding for sure, but he's not texting. So it's okay. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so he's going careening down towards the earth and he kind of levels out and buzzes as many locations as fast as he can to see if he can spot his dad's car. And eventually he does in a parking lot of the mini mall. Um, and he lands, he starts demorphing and Marco Ferry is like right behind him. Like he did not go faster than Marco really. He did, but he didn't. Um, (laughs) so Jake has started going to tiger morph and Marco is like, no dude, I got this. Like you just stay here. Don't, don't do this tiger bullshit. I got this. Um, he's like, you're too close to the situation. And so Marco starts going to Gorilla and says something about, like, I'm going to play Rachel's part right now. And so Marco lumbers over to these cars in the parking lot, just, like, walking over there. I'm assuming, like, belly out like gorillas do. I don't know why. It's just <laughs> cute. I know. It just seemed kind of cute, like, walking on two legs. Like, yeah, I'm ready. His arms swinging. His arms, like, swinging around, holding his little belly out. Um, <laughs> That's so cute. And he- he just starts picking up cars by their bumpers and dropping them so, like, the alarms are blaring. And oh. uh, he does that to a few cars, and then he sees Chapman's car. So he just walks up and, like, punches in the fucking door. He's like, boom, <laughs> leaves a giant hole in the side of the car. Oh, and then uh, he walks over to Jake's dad's car and just, like, takes his arms and slams them down on the hood. And then he's like, good enough, and walks off into the night. <laughs> <laughs> and Jake's like, hey, that's our car. Right. And he was like, yeah, I know. That's right. (laughs) Um, So a few seconds after that happens, people start streaming out of all the nearby businesses, which included a Starbucks and like a vintage store is where um, Chapman and Tom and and Jake's dad come out of. (laughs) I like to imagine they're wearing like vintage scarves and stuff like they were just standing around (laughs) the store having this meeting and they're just like trying shit on. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like purple fuzzy suit coats and like yeah. large hats yeah like oh, sunglasses man. and shit oh it's funny <laughs> knee boards and keyboards oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man they probably got some sweet ass kicks with the velcro <laughs> anyways before that's thrift shop not vintage shop vintage shop is different i imagine Anyways, anyway, is right. <laughs> um, so, anyways, they come out. Jake's dad sees his car, and as soon as he sees it, how fucked up it is. He like runs over, drops to his knees, and is like, "My baby, someone my hurt my baby." No, <laughs> no, my toxic masculinity says I must care about my car more than my children. <laughs> <laughs> This is a deep cut. (laughs) Was it? No. Uh, Tom desperately tries to convince his dad to get back into the meeting, but, you know, again, his car. Uh, So Jake's, like, just hiding out watching the situation, like, motherfucker, what do I do? do?" Uh, But Tom's like, this is proof enough that he is not a controller yet because Tom is desperately trying to get his dad back into the room. And then Tom just, like, fucks all off to go back there. And uh, Jake's dad's, like, dealing with the car. 
So um, Jake's like, oh, man, we did it. All clear. He's not a controller. And Marco goes, you know this is only round one, right? And it's like, no, fuck Um, And then we cut to Cassie's barn to discuss everything that just happened. And Rachel is enraged for an entirely separate reason from everything that just happened here. And I wrote a lot of notes about it. And it really doesn't matter to anything. But here's what happened because (laughs) this apparently was important to me. She's enraged because she got the call from Eric. She was the closest backup being at the mall, which was nearby. So she tried to rush over there. But first she stowed her packages in a locker at the mall. She forgot to lock it in her rush, made it there, just saw everybody filling out police reports about the broken cars. So she flew back to the mall, goes to get her shit, and all of her shit was stolen. So she's just like mad at Jake because of this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. And we will never mention that again. Hooray. Uh, so, yeah. Um, she was just mad. And she just gets mad at Jake, who is attempting to defend his decisions. Even though in every other part of this book, Rachel's kind of on his side. This one, she's not. Because the packages, remember. Her, her shit that she bought got stolen. Her shit she bought with her own parents' she- credit card got <laughs> stolen. <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, okay, sorry. Then let's turn this car around to fucking depressing as shitsville. Because Tobias goes, I don't understand why Tom just doesn't say he's not going. And everybody looks at Tobias like, oh, blah. And Tobias is like, oh, that's right. My family didn't care about me or give a single fuck what I ever did. And they're all yeah. like. Yeah, exactly, Tobias. Moving right along. Oh, my <laughs> God, baby. I know. It was... And, like, the, it was just, like, a mention. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's right. Tobias' family fucking sucks. Oh. I want to give his little bird form a hug. Except he'd hate I it. I know. I know. He was just genuinely confused. Oh. Yeah. Um... And, that, like, this goes on and on, this sort of bullshit talk about other characters that has nothing to do with Jake. And eventually it leads to Rachel just very angrily summarizing, like, if your dad doesn't let Tom leave for less than three days, then your dad's gonna die. Wow. Um, yeah. side note. Yeah. So, is it Jake's dad and Rachel's dad that are brothers? Yes. Okay. Uh, they mention that it's, uh... It's on their dad's side, and that's why Rachel didn't have to go because great-grandpa was Jake's mom's great-grandpa, so she didn't know him. Yeah. 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 That is the family tree. And her family, after the divorce, drifted away from Jake's family because her dad left. Okay, got it. Right. Right. Wee! Yeah. Yep, exactly. And that's, and it was, yeah, yeah, we get it. (laughs) <laughs> Wait, okay, so, sorry. Um, yeah. So, fucking, um, not Chandler. Who's the kid? Uh, Sadler. Sadler. Um, mm-hmm. sorry, sorry, rest Chandler. Um, <laughs> um, Could so, you be any less sympathetic? I'm sorry. So, ch- I almost said Chandler again, god damn it. Sadler, Sadler. <laughs> was Jake's cousin and Rachel's cousin. Yeah. So, was yes. there a third sibling? Or, oh, God. 
Uh, I don't even know. We don't have to get into this, but I'm just confused. I no, no, no. Um, I mean, there's probably right, but um, I don't really know if he's like second cousin. I thought he was maybe second cousin, something like that. Uh I don't really know. Like, I don't think we ever explore that far into that part of the family tree. Like, if, if it's mentioned, it's not mentioned overtly enough that I could tell you, like, oh, yeah, there's three siblings, and this was blah, blah, blah's kid, and so on and so forth. I'm sure somebody's made a family tree on the fan wiki or whatever, but I'm not going to I'm look sure. for it. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm not going to look for it either because, you know. I just don't care. Yeah, no. Shit. There's other things happening that are just more important. Like but- jelly. But this is Animorphs Anonymous, where we dissect the little things. That's true. The little unimportant things. I don't know. I I would guess... I have to remember how cousins work first. Like, I know how cousins work, but, like, I... How is cousin formed? To, how, how is Babby formed? Um, to be both Jake and Rachel's cousin, it would have to be on the dad's side. So, yeah, there's gotta be a third sibling and or... Second cousin, meaning then there would just be above that two siblings. So then, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Second cousin would make more sense, but I think they just said cousin. So, yeah, there's a third one in there somewhere. (laughs) The mysterious. Mysterious third one. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So that's that. (laughs) Um. Yeah, so Jake's like, the only way to keep my dad safe is constant surveillance. So he calls into school the next day, pretending to be his dad, gets himself excused for the day, and he's like, the others would be helping with surveillance, but I think I should do most of it. So he morphs to Cockroach in the dining room because he's so fucking responsible right now. Oh my god. Yeah. This boy. He's just not thinking this through. So he's like, my best bet is to stay with my dad all day. And he's like, I'm going to ride into the cuff of his pants to work with him. But uh, this dream is shattered, just like the jar of jelly that his dad dropped on the floor. Oh my god, you messy fuck. (laughs) He smashed that jelly everywhere. He threw it on the ground. Um, Yeah. Also, I feel like... uh... Do you feel like Fly would have been a better morph? Like, Jake said he didn't pick Fly because he'd had a bad experience. But do you think it would have been better in this situation? I think they're really starting to enjoy the, um, how kind of invincible cockroaches are. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that Fly would have been vastly better than cockroach like i think they're they both have their pros and cons yeah so i don't i don't know i'm not judging his cockroach decision i think that that's fine fly would have been fine too but like i feel like every time they're cockroaches somebody sees them and is like (gasps) um yeah i mean i think the other thing that we really never know is exactly what kind of cockroach they are because like Again, because it was the 90s, probably. I always imagine, like, you know, they're these giant cockroaches. The big, like, Madagascar like, hissing cockroaches or whatever. Right. I like mean, the they say they're, like... Ones. 
I mean, kind of, but, like, I just imagine those, but, like, an inch long, and, like, that's kind of it. But, like, the cockroaches that are in your house and stuff, they just, they aren't that big. Like, they're uh-huh. really not. So, I don't know. <laughs> Relatedly, um, I'm not great at entomology. That's that's mm-hmm. right, right? The study of insects. Um, yes. But I'm pretty sure I killed a cockroach last night. But... It was like climbing on my wall in plain sight. Yeah. So and I was like, that doesn't seem very cockroach like behavior. But I yeah. think it was a cock I don't know. It looked like I'm, one. I've never seen them uh in my house, but we had them there's like a variety that is common outside, like in gardens and stuff, and we yeah. had those at the barn. Mm-hmm. And, like, those were always much smaller than I ever imagined them to be. But, um, yeah, I mean, if it's a if it's a garden cockroach that got inside, I think those are no big deal. But, like, if you have cockroaches, then you probably have, like, a million of them. Mm. But I think you see their droppings and stuff. Like, it's very... Their obvious. droppings are very visible. Yeah, and obvious. Yeah. Yeah, well. Sorry, so. I keep derailing the conversation. I mean, hey, we've only got seven pages of notes together. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's fine. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's a cockroach. It's great. His dad sees him because he gets stuck in some jelly. Uh, and then his dad starts trying to stomp him to death in the jelly. So, <laughs> I mean, this just sounds like a disaster. Um, Jake finds a shard of glass that's sticking out of the jelly and uses it to get some traction. He unsticks himself. And he runs onto his dad's shoe. And his dad sees this happen because he's not a totally blind idiot. And uh, starts trying to stomp him off of his shoe. And Jake is just like, oh my god, what the fuck is happening? Tries to climb into the inner part of his dad's pants. And his dad, of course, like is like, where did it go? And he's like, quiet for a moment. But Jake is covered in jelly, and the cockroach is like, hell yeah, jelly, and so starts eating it, and Jake's like, ah, fuck, I lost control of my jelly body. Um, And then his dad, like, felt the the mouth parts moving, which again led me to believe that he was a very large cockroach. Sure. Um, And his dad freaked out and, like, starts, like, shaking his leg everywhere. Jake willed himself to stay perfectly still. And his dad, like, lifts the cuff of his pants to look at his leg, but Jake was safely hidden away. So his dad, like, just lets it go, cleans up this mess, and leaves for work. I like to picture his dad, like, high-pitched screaming. Like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> And then being kind of embarrassed about it once he calms down. <clears throat> straighten his tie and leave. I mean, I just keep imagining, like, that would be hilarious. But, like, also just imagine the kitchen around him, like... He's trying to stomp a bug that is caught in jelly that is all over his floor. And like glass shards. And glass shards. And he's just stomping through it, like spreading jelly and glass everywhere. Ugh. There's so much jelly. God. Steven. Too much. Too know. much jelly. I don't know Jake's dad's name. I don't know. He's covered in jelly. Ugh. So, yeah, that's that. Um, The ride to Jake's dad's work was uneventful, thank God, and they arrive without further trouble. As the car starts pulling into the parking garage, Axe calls out to Jake saying, like, ah, I believe I recognize your father. And then 
Jake and Axe have a minor tiff because Axe says something like, you've gone around twice and you have ascended to the second floor. And Jake is like, yes, Axe, those are ramps. They help cars go to upper floors. And Axe makes this very, like, yes, Prince Jake, I deduced easily what those were for. (laughs) That was a really interesting exchange. Yeah, there's... Yeah, tell me your thoughts. So... I mean, I know Jake is stressed and kind of snapping at everybody, but I thought he was, like, a little overtly aggressive to Axe. And Axe responding very, like, sarcastically was a little jolting for me. But, I mean, so it's, like, it's a combination of, like, he has respect for Jake because Jake is his prince. But also, Jake is a stupid human and he is a superior Andalite. So I guess it kind of makes sense. That he would respond with, like, yeah, I got it. But, I don't know. It's weird. I don't know yeah, how I feel. There's a few moments like that in this book. This was the least understandable of them all. But yeah, there's... like, later he, they have an exchange, and I completely understood that one. But this one was kind of like, okay. Yeah, this one was a little weird. Yeah. But also, Jake did just try to mansplain parking garages <laughs> to Axe. <laughs> you just, you cracking up is cracking me up. Oh, God. Amazing. Oh, fuck. Uh, yes, Tobias shows up very quickly after. <laughs> Tobias was basically like, yeah, I saw you guys leave the house, and I just flew straight here. And uh, Jake's like, oh, cool, I guess, whatever. Um, so they head into his office in this parking garage, and both Axe and Tobias notice an angry-looking bearded man on the way into the building. But the it's guy me. doesn't make a move. You're an angry bearded man? Yeah. Nice. One day. Anyways, one day, um, <laughs> one day I'll grow one. Oh, God. Anyways, uh, he goes into work, and... Um, we find out he's, well, we, I think we already knew he was a pediatric doctor from an earlier book. And then there's a weird aside from Jake where Jake's like, but he's not my doctor. That would be too weird. Yeah. I, I don't know. Am I missing something? I mean, uh, what do I, what do I say to this? Like, not at his current age, I guess, but like. Once he gets to be more towards a teenager and he has to ask things like, why do I get random boners or how <laughs> does sex work? Like, I don't know. I guess that's awkward. Uh, I guess. I mean, I understand why just based on, like, morality. Why? Yeah. Like, I, I get, get it. It's weird if, like, your, your teacher is also, like, your parent and stuff. Like, the whole, I don't know. That's right, because then when you nerd call the teacher mom, we don't get to make fucking fun of you for calling the teacher mom. <laughs> I, I just, I remember, I think my kindergarten teacher had her son in her class and everybody mm-hmm. made fun of him. Even though I don't think there was any like overt, like preferential treatment or anything. But still, it's like, I don't know, it's weird. It's just weird. There, So this is like that, um, 
this is not at all like that, but here's a weird example. Do you remember that teacher that we had in college that was only teaching at college because he had followed his daughter up through every year of school so he could teach the grade she was in? Oh, was that that fucking terrible science teacher? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. yeah. we got fired. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I, retro- I retroactively feel a little bit bad about that, but also he was... He should not have been teaching college science. Listen, every time I drop hundreds of dollars monthly on true, loans, I true. do not feel bad about that fucking education. True, 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 true. That is yeah. so true. We should get all of that money back. Yeah. So. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, I would have felt worse if it was like high school and it wasn't my money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I can I can see why Jake's dad wouldn't like even from the perspective perspective of Jake's dad, him being like, oh, I can't have my sons as my patients. Like, that's just not OK. That's crossing a weird line. I'll write you all the prescriptions you want, son. <laughs> ADD, ADHD, <laughs> all of them. Valium, you got it. <laughs> you want 30 days of antibiotics? Fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why why okay why did I go for those three prescriptions you went to Valium which makes fucking sense for a prescription <laughs> you're trying to steal why did I go to antibiotics and ADHD medication I don't know I have a very strange criminal history <laughs> um yeah, I don't know. Whatever. So it, it he's not Jake's doctor. So Jake has never seen his dad work through a day before is what this is getting at. Sure. Um, and so Jake focuses on his dad's work. And uh, because there's also not much else to really focus on other than, you know, getting to the bathroom to demorph and morph every couple hours. Um, but he was just focusing on his dad dealing with the parents and the kids. And he decides that if nothing else happens in his life, he would be happy if he just grew up to be like his dad, who is a kind and decent person and treats everybody with respect and is just generally nice. And Jake doesn't feel the need to be a hero. He doesn't feel the need to fight. He just wants to be good to people. Um, and it was a very, very sweet moment with his dad. And after that, like, long day of observing, Jake's dad leaves the office and he tells, like, a final dad joke before leaving. <laughs> I love Jake's dad. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a really nice guy. Yeah. Just a nice dad. Um, yeah, whatever. So they leave. They leave the office on the dad joke. And Axe and Tobias are still chilling outside. And uh, they warn Jake, like, hey, the bearded man is still waiting. So Axe is demorphed behind a dumpster in the garage at this point, and he tells Jake he can get to the bearded guy, but he can't move without being seen. And Jake's like, well, if an Andalite just shows up, the Yerks will probably piece together that something's wrong and that they're here because they're observing this guy and there's probably a connection there. And, you know, they'll figure it out. And uh, Jake's left with this decision. Does he sacrifice his dad or does he sacrifice his team? Um, And so he freezes. And Axe and Tobias are like, Jake, what do we do? What do we do? Um, and then he's like, I, uh, I got this. And so he figures out a plan really quickly where he runs up the back of his dad's suit. And he's like, am I looking at the guy to whoever? And Axe is like, yes, you're, you're 
you know, going staring dead at him. So Jake uses his stupid cockroach wings to fly at this guy who's following his dad and now only a few feet away. And he lands on the bearded man's face, and the guy just starts freaking the fuck out, like, ah, there's a butt, ah, and, like, swatting at his face. And Jake's, like, crawling in this guy's beard, and, like, he's just, like, freaking the fuck out. The next thing you know, a hawk flies in, despite Jake going, no, when Tobias is, like, incoming, and grabs the toupee off the top of this guy's head and flies away with it, because a lot of people apparently wear toupees in Animorphs <laughs> Yes. Um, so many toupees. And then uh, Jake was nestled into that toupee, so he goes flying off with Tobias. And Jake starts yelling at Tobias. He's like, well, you might as well just have announced the Animorphs are here and tattooed across that guy's head and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it turns out that this was a lucky maneuver because the guy, as soon as his toupee is gone and the bug is away, he's like, forget the birds and the bugs, man. You're parked in my spot. And it turns out that this guy isn't a controller trying to get to Jake's dad. He was just pissed because Jake's dad stole his completely unreserved parking spot in a public garage. <laughs> Jake's dad oh. is just so, like, chill with it. He's just like, whoa, calm down. I yeah, wasn't aware. This isn't marked. Your name's not on it. And the guy's like, I've been parking here for two years, four months, and blah. Like, he just goes nuts. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that didn't go well. Yeah. Um, but whatever. Anyways, after this fight occurs, Jake makes it home with his dad. And as soon as the car pulls into the garage, uh, Jake runs out and demorphs when his dad isn't there. Then he runs upstairs, jumps under the covers, because Jake's like, my dad will be delayed because he checks the mail and he just stands there going, Bill, Bill, Bill. Oh, magazine. Bill. Bill. <laughs> <laughs> like... I just couldn't picture it so clearly. Um, But as soon as Jake jumps into his bed and pulls the covers up, Tom opens the door to his room and asks him, like, are you faking sick? And Jake realizes, like, he had no idea that Tom was home and he morphed downstairs and he might have fucked up majorly. Um, But it turns out Tom just came into his room to be a dick and then leave. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we cut to dinner that night where Jake has chicken noodle soup for his tummy and, uh, Tom and their dad have Chinese food for their not tummies because they apparently don't give a shit how their tummies feel. Um, but after dinner, Tom storms up to his room and their dad reminds them nicely, like, hey, don't forget to pack and include your suits. And Jake's like, oh, okay, dad. Um, so Jake's dad's like, I have to go water the lawn, which, again, is a distinctly 90s thing. Like, nobody waters their lawns anymore. <laughs> Ever. Mm. Um, and Jake's like, oh, you know, I can do the dishes. And his dad's like, weird, but okay. I'll accept your offer. Um, but it's so he can watch his dad water the lawn through the window. <laughs> Um, after a while, Jake sees Tobias soaring above his house, and Jake's like, oh, cool, I'll finish these dishes and go, uh, join Tobias. So, he does, he runs upstairs, morphs to Peregrine, hops out his bedroom window, and then he and Tobias start chatting for a while, and, uh, then suddenly Tobias spots Chapman and a stranger in a car a few blocks away, and they have a gun. Ah! A gun! This is not a drive-by! Should I know that song? Oh, I do know that song. I just didn't 
piece it together. <laughs> I almost said Maroon 5. That is not correct. No. Train. Train? Train! Train. Anyway. Train, train, train. That's chain. Anyways, um, <laughs> we're having quite a night Song songs. references. Songs. Um... Imagine dragons. Anyways, uh, <laughs> have I never told you that story? No, I don't think so. Okay, here's a weird aside that hopefully I'll edit out. Uh, so one night the song uh, Sail came yeah. on, you yeah. know, like, Sail! Sail! Da, 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 yeah. da. Okay, so that was on, and I was hmm, mid to extremely drunk, and <laughs> it was like, for whatever reason, the words that came out of my mouth were in the most horrific Midwest accent. And I turned to my friend. I'm like, oh, my God, Sail. This is my favorite song by my favorite band, Imagine Dragons. <laughs> if you've put this all together, you know that that song is actually by AWOL Nation. Yes. <laughs> I was just wasted. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so amazing. now... It just comes out sometimes when, like... <laughs> Imagine Dragons. Imagine Dragons. Wow, my favorite band. <laughs> yeah, so... That's incredible. It was pretty bad. And it took me a good five minutes to realize that it was not Imagine Dragons. <laughs> it was, like, five minutes later when I was like, oh, my God, it was AWOL Nation. And then by that time, everybody's like, what the fuck are you talking about, though? I mean, it's, it's got kind of the same sort of tempo as, like, believer right it's time to begin to, to, no it doesn't it doesn't i mean it might as that song but it doesn't sure. have imagine dragons song types in it <sighs> well radioactive radioactive like, there's that and then there's like like they're different they're very different <laughs> anyway this has been the song cast with animorphs anonymous this is this is a, a podcast within a podcast. If we started out on a munch squad note, this is where we are now. I want a munch squad. <laughs> anyway, okay. So, uh, fuck. Jake. Uh, Jake dives down towards the roof, breaking speed limits to hit it, and at the last possible second, he slows down and slams into the roof. And he starts demorphing as fast as possible. Tobias is like, you are being a fucking idiot, but I will still cover your ass. Oh, Tobias. And Tobias is just super helpful in this book. Tobias is the best in this book. He truly is. And every book, one might argue. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag unbiased. Unbiased Tobias. Unbiased Tobias, the best of all the biases. Aw. Anyways... <laughs> <laughs> Jake demorphs until his weight starts to slide him off the roof and Tobias is like, you cannot fall there because Tom is looking directly out that window and will see you half bird falling down. So Jake, in a Herculean effort, grabs the gutter and holds on. Oh, and Tobias is like, wait, wait. Okay, Tom's turned away now. So Jake lets go of the gutter and thuds to the ground. Jesus. And runs around the house. I know, fucking reckless. Off the kid. roof? Off like, the roof. I'm... It's like a two-story house. What the fuck? I mean, maybe he still had hollow bird bones and only weighed like 50 pounds. Oh, God. I don't know. Who can tell? This is, this is a two-story cookie-cutter suburban house, God damn it! Yeah. Broken your leg. Uh, it went, he could just morph it off later. That's true. Healing! Oh, Healing. 
Yeah, so he thuds to the ground and goes running around the house. And he's like, hey, Dad, I'll take over watering the lawn. And Jake's dad is like, oh, what do you want now, Jake? Like, joking around with him. He's like, I just want you to get into the house. But he's like, I, I just want to get some fresh air. But his head, I want you to get in the house. His dad finally starts moseying towards the front door, like, really slowly. But it's too late. Chapman and the gunman are right there. They roll down the window. The gun is being aimed. And then Jake just turns the hose on the side of the car and it startles them enough that the gunman flinches and Chapman like freaks out and Jake's dad makes it inside and Jake is shaking and like as they're driving off, Jake says something like, oh, hi, Mr. Chapman, pretending he just recognized him. Uh, So super close call. And then he turns around and sees Tom staring at him with hatred from the window. Hatred. Yeah. Um... So we cut to the barn, where Marco, Cassie, Tobias, and Jake are meeting. Uh, Rachel and Axe are out doing surveillance, watching sort of duties, watching Jake's dad, that sort of thing. And Tobias tells them, and even Jake says, it was without blame, without pointing any fingers, what has happened over the past few days. And everybody is mad at Jake, including Cassie. They are super pissed, and they're like, what the fuck were you thinking? And Marco especially is extremely angry that he sent Axe and Tobias away without calling for backup. And he's going, you are too close to this. You are not making the right calls. And you are putting one person's life above everybody else's. Um, And then he also says, you are risking yourself for stupid reasons. Which Cassie also seconds because she was saying he was risking himself by putting himself in the way of the gunman and being a fucking idiot. Mm -hmm. Um. And my answer to that was, mm, so, like, exactly the things that Cassie and Marco kind of struggled with in the past few books and previous books? Kind of like that, huh? Like, I don't know, dealing with killing your family, huh? Or putting, like, one person's life above everybody else's Cassie? Or maybe, (laughs) I don't know, putting the whole human race at risk because of exposure, Cassie? Oh, my God. So, anyways, I was, like... These guys are mad because they have made their decisions and they know where their loyalties lie. And I guess they were just like, Jake isn't doing the thing that I would do. Therefore, I'm mad. Well, maybe it's because they hold Jake to a different standard because he is the leader. Oh, yeah, for sure. And for sure. I don't know. Yeah. Although, so that's. I agree with that point. And then Marco tells him right after this, like, straight up, I wish that I were more like you. Like, saying, I wish I were more like you, Jake. And, like, I wish I could say I wouldn't kill my own mother, but I know now that I would and Mm. that you wouldn't. So he's like, I'm saying I wish I could be like that and be that compassionate and do that, but I can't. So you need to, like, you know, you can't make the call. Oh. Yeah. So harsh. It's super harsh, but, oh. like, it's it's weird how it's harsh and it's really, it comes off as mean, but it is so caring in a way because Marco's saying, I can make that call to kill yeah. family members and friends. You are too close to it. You can't do that. You can't do what I can do. And Jake's, like, you know, he's still saying, no, I can make the calls. I can do it. I can defend my father. But Marco's, like, straight up, I don't want you to be in that situation. Yeah. Not only do I not want you to do it, and I don't think you can do it, I don't want you to have to do it. Yeah. Which is the same thing Jake did for him. Yeah. 
So, oh. yeah. Um, and for whatever reason, Cassie doesn't say much, but is on Marco's side of Jake can't make this call, which I'm sure there's a whole bunch of reasons, all of them having to do with Cassie really caring for him mm-hmm. and like not wanting him to go through this, but yeah, whatever. Um, it's kind of like which... their alliance again. Yeah. 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 Their very recent alliance to like project, pro- project, protect Jake project. at all costs. Yeah. And I think that this is another way that they're like, we want to emotionally protect you now. Like, yeah. this time... Like, yeah, his life is at risk this time, but they it's not, like, the same sort of stakes as in that Megamorse book. It's more of a, like, we can't let you go there. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was the part where they were voting whether or not Jake could handle it. Uh... They said Axe, of course, won't vote. Rachel's on Jake's side. So Tobias is supposed to be this tiebreaker in this weird fucking argument they're having. Mm -hmm. Um, But Tobias instead pulls a fully confusing way, comes from a different angle, and, like, says, hey, like, it doesn't matter whether or not Jake can make the call. We have to keep his dad from being a controller because if Jake's dad becomes a controller, there's twice as much of a chance of Jake getting caught there's way more danger, especially because it's his dad instead of his brother, and there will be people watching him go at all hours of the day and night, and they're, especially for Animorphs business, going to put them at risk. So it's not a choice of do we or don't we let his dad become a controller. It is how do we prevent this. Go, Tobias! Like, yeah, Tobias just, like, saw the entire thing that yeah. was happening. Like, Marco saw the plan from A to B, like he talks about in his last book, but Tobias saw the bigger picture in this instance. And, and and earlier when he made that realization that like, oh, nobody in my family cared about me. I think he saw in this moment that Jake's family does care about him and that his dad would be like watching him and paying yeah. attention. Oh, my God. Anyway. There's a mosquito yeah. in here. <laughs> that went somewhere I did not expect. <laughs> um, yeah. Tobias really comes through in this book. He's extremely observant and mature. Like, I don't know if it was just from Tobias being put in charge in the last book, but he's, like, in the last couple books, just really come out of this shell almost. Yeah, he's and he's picking up the slack. Yeah, he's really picking up the slack, and he's really putting himself out there, Aww. and, like, he's just being great. I'm so proud of him. Me too. <laughs> Um, but we can't be proud of him for too long, so we have to go through this really fucking awkward moment where Marco and Cassie reluctantly agree that Tobias is right, and they have to go on the offensive and create a distraction to draw people away from Jake's dad. They just need to draw the attention off of Tom, off of their dad, and onto something else. And Marco tries to smooth things over and say, like, hey man, nothing personal, I'm just, you know, I have to protect the team. And he goes to, like, shake Jake's hand, and Jake just leaves him hanging oh, there saying nothing. Oh, my God. I know. I love this, but I hate it as well. I... <sighs> oh. It's like... I don't want to say it's a power struggle, because it's not, like, a true power struggle. Like, Marco doesn't want to take over the Animorphs, but yeah, it's not like Marco. It's not like, like a David thing. 
at all. Right. Exactly. It's nothing like that. It's Marco trying to say, like, you have to understand where I'm coming from and say, like, hey, I, you know, I see what you're trying to do. And, like, Marco just trying to extend that olive branch and Jake just being, like, you overstepped your boundaries. You need to fucking back off. Yeah. Oh, and they're best friends. So... And they're best friends. And there's, like, like, no time to be best friends in this moment. There's not. But also think about how, like, Jake is having such trouble being a leader. But even in that moment, Jake doesn't yell at Marco because he knows that that will just make his situation worse. Instead, he just does this slight that, like, Marco, you can almost feel the shift where, like, Marco's now, like, on, like, kind of on his heels. Like, oh, fuck, I fucked up. Yeah. Oh. Oh, so many good things Babies. from this one moment. Oh, man. Oh. Yeah. And then Marco tries to talk, and Jake just cuts him off and says, I have a plan. I have a plan. I don't think he did have a plan. He just kind of starts coming up with a plan on the fly. (laughs) He's like, emotions can really help you sometimes. Because he really just wanted to piss off Marco in this moment. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, Yeah, their plan is they're going to kidnap Chapman. Yay! Yeah, fuck it. This will go well. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's the type of crazy distraction we need. And uh, Marco's like, yeah, all right, that, w- that would work. The Yerks would abandon helping, helping Tom to go after Chapman. Uh, but this plan is fucking nuts. <laughs> and Rachel would love it. Yeah, and Rachel would love it. Sure enough, she does. <laughs> like, they fly over to, um, to Jake's house to pick up Rachel on the way and leave Cassie. Because Cassie and Tobias are going to guard, um, to guard Jake's dad. So Jake, Rachel, Marco, and Axe are flying out. And when Jake relays this plan to Rachel, she just goes, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Because she's the best. Yep. So anyways, (laughs) they fly out by Chapman's house. um, And there is an empty lot across the street. I assume probably the same one as before where they did the whole Fluffer McKitty mission. Oh, Fluffs. Yep. Oh, Fluffs McKitts. (laughs) That's... I, like, I know Drew's cat, you know, you, yeah. you remember Drew from yeah. from Megamorphs 2 in the time of the dinosaur, I do. listeners. Um, and his cat, who is the most gorgeous, hilarious she's cat. She's great. She's great. She has started waiting by the door every time she knows it's time for him to go to work so that he can't get out. Oh, that's so I cute. Know. She's so great. Oh. Um. But I only refer to her as Fluffer McKitty Aww. every time. She's very fluffy. She is very fluffy. So, yeah. anyways, uh, that's my story about Fluffer McKitty. Um, they are in this abandoned lot, and they start morphing in the bushes. And Marco goes to gorilla, Rachel goes grizzly, Jake goes rhino, and Axe goes to human, but, like, weirdly stops the morph partway through, so, like, his features are, like, really, like, messed up, and they say it reminds them of Quasimodo without the hump. I so. was skeptical as to how this would have worked. I feel like I... he has, like, a slight blue furry tinge. Yeah, and, like... His nose would be like, well, I could see why his nose, like, why I'd say it was really wide because of, like, the way the Andalite faces, like, where his nose would come from. So. I could see why. So, 
can he like freeze parts of the morph and like morph other parts of him? Like, because you can't control what starts first. So if your face started first, could you be like, okay, freeze the nose, freeze the mouth, and then like work on my tail? Like, how does that work? I think it's got to be like, oh, just them getting better at it, right? Like how Cassie could control which parts of her body morph, so she but she's could get in those a stream. like huge wings. I know, but they're all getting good at morphing. Like Marco did the whole truck driver gorilla thing in like the <laughs> yeah, that's right book in the cow not book. that long ago. Yeah, the cow book. Like I think they're all just getting better at this. <gasps> okay. Yeah, I'll buy it. That's my argument. I'll buy it. I don't love it, but I'll buy it. <laughs> it's not my favorite thing. <laughs> it's not. It's not the best thing that there is, but I will take it. Cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, so he has weird distorted features, and, um, Jake is really, like, feeling the lack of Tobias here as they try to go across the street as all of these weird animals, and then, like, hide by Chapman's house. Um, (laughs) they're all huge. How can they do this? Yeah, they're all gigantic, and (laughs) I don't know. What do I know? (laughs) Um, yeah, so they, they go over there. And uh, the whole plan is for Axe to go knock on the doors. And when Chapman answers, Axe is like, I would like to speak to Melissa, please, about a school assignment. And then he, like, adds on at the end, because we are friends and classmates, this is a perfectly reasonable request. (laughs) A wonderful boy. (laughs) He is a wonderful boy. And, like, Chapman just sighs like he's been suffering for so long. And he goes to get Melissa. And... It gives Axe a moment to kind of, like, look past him and scope out the security features in the house. Like, oh, yeah, he's got, like, some chameleon shit and, like, dragon beams and a statue and, like, God only knows. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Melissa soon shows up at the door and is like, who the fuck? But then Marco reaches over the side of the porch and grabs her, covering her mouth. They get her tied up and set aside very quickly. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That's so bad for her. Yeah. Um, as soon as Melissa was taken aside, Jake veers out from hiding and, as a rhino, charges down the front door, smashing it to fucking pieces. Oh. Uh, he immediately gets hit by the Draken beams that are in the security statue, and it gets in two shots before he tramples it. Miss Chapman is in the kitchen, she yells, Andalites, and then fires a Draken beam that she has in the kitchen, I guess, right into Jake's face. And it burns a hole through his head right into his brain. Jesus. And he is like, I am very badly hurt. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah. Rachel charges in. She was charging in behind Jake and knocks Miss Chapman into a kitchen wall, which just knocks her out. Axe joins the fray soon after as an Andalite. And he sees Chapman going upstairs. Jake's like, nope, give him time. We need him to sound the alarm. So, like, Jake counts to ten and then says, okay, go after him. So Axe and Marco do. Um, Chapman reappears by the top of the stairs with a gun, and Marco is nearby. He shoots Marco point blank, who just drops. And then Chapman leaps over Marco, goes to take off outside. Axe, I guess, jumps out of a second-story window, landing hard in the grass, and starts following Chapman. And Jake makes a split-second call where he's like, Rachel, you go get Marco. Axe and I are off after Chapman. So Chapman's, like, running off and has a gun still. And he's, like, jumping fences, making it out of the backyard. Chapman turns around, fires several bullets at Jake, and he lands them in his skull. 
Jake is very badly hurt, but he uses his rage about his dad almost being gunned down earlier to power through and winds up charging through the fence that Chapman's trying to climb and knocking him over. So Chapman is like on, like just standing there, like getting up off the ground, like confused and knocked about and everything. And Jake gets ready to charge and kill him. Mm. Rachel emerges from the house and yells for Axe to stop him. Axe is like, oh, fucking how? He's a rhino. (laughs) Um, But it doesn't really matter because Jake starts charging down Chapman, is about to kill him, and then his injuries overtake him and something snaps. His legs just go out from under him and he falls down, sliding to a stop a few feet away. (gasps) Um, at this point, X nimbly hops over, knocks Chapman out with the flat of his tail blade, and there you have it. Mm. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah, it's not great. No. No. Um, Jake demorphs, so he doesn't die. And they can hear Melissa crying for her parents nearby, oh. and they can also hear the sounds of sirens. Oh, poor Melissa. I know. She's, like, literally just like, Mommy, Daddy, what the fuck? Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, I feel bad for her. Um, yeah. So, they, Axe has hopped off ahead, but Marco can easily pick up Chapman. He demorphed and remorphed inside, by the way. He mentions that. Uh So, his injuries were gone. Okay. So, uh, Marco easily picks up Chapman, and they move towards the nearby empty house, where Axe has already disabled the security system and left the door open. Chapman is unconscious. They tie him up and tie him to a chair. They blindfold him. And then Jake's like, all right, let's wake him up. So he grabs a coffee can, fills it with water, and splashes it in Chapman's face. Chapman wakes up, like, spluttering, like, blah, blah, what the, what the fuck? Um, and so now Axe has to play the part of an Andalite warrior interrogating the Yerk. And... The only reason that Axe is doing this is to keep up this weird charade they have going on. Like, he could actually interrogate him for helpful information, but it is just to keep up their weird thing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Jake and Rachel and Marco stay for a moment while Axe starts doing this, and he starts, like, asking him questions and threatening him and saying he's gonna like you know do all sorts of crazy fucking torture shit to him um and then he starts talking about starving out the yerk with uh condrona starvation and jake leaves at this time because jake of course knows what it's like to go through that and he starts imagining his own brother going through it when they're out of town and at this point jake is like Marco and everybody won't even need to vote after this. I'm not going to be the leader of the Animorphs for much longer. Like, how could anybody support me when I have asked for this? Oh, my God. I know. (sighs) Brutal. Yeah. Uh, So Jake tries to catch a few hours of sleep. Um, He leaves Tobias on watch outside of his window, but he can't get to sleep because shit is too cray. Um, so he gets up and creeps around his house, and he starts checking in on everybody. So he goes to check in on his dad, who's sleeping and looks okay. Then he goes to check Tom's room, and it's empty. And he's like, okay, he probably snuck out to look for Chapman, and Tobias just didn't tell me about it. So, cool. So Jake gets back into bed, tries to sleep for a few more hours, and then Tobias says, hey man, if you're sleeping, get up, because Tom's getting home. So, uh, at that point... Jake's like, okay, Tom's home, and flies out to check on Axe and Chapman. 
And when he gets to the house where they're holding Chapman, he finds a very, very angry Axe. Axe just right off the bat goes, I will not be doing anything like this again. This is not honorable. This is just... He's just so mad. <laughs> He's like, I've heard Melissa walking around the neighborhood crying for her father all night. And he tells Jake, if we meet on the battlefield, I will fight him in an honorable way in combat. I will even kill him, but I will not do this again because this is not right. Oh. Yeah. My son. I know. But I love this scene. I love how he got mad at Jake and he's starting to doubt him. Like, that's just, ah. Yeah. And even, so, the next moment of this is Jake's like, I understand, Axe. Um, I understand why you feel this way. But I wouldn't ask you to do this if it weren't important. And Axe goes, is this important to the war effort? Or is this as important to you? And (gasps) Jake can't answer. He's like, uh... Like, I don't know. I don't know if it's important to me or the war. Um, And then in the next moment, Axe tells him that uh, because they now have to let Chapman go, not only does this affect, like, what Axes have to do, like, not only is this dishonorable, not only is this hurtful, but now, on top of everything else, because Chapman's about to escape the Andalite, this is going to be repeated often in your lore, and Axe's name is now synonymous with foolish. And... It, like, Axe already took the fall with the Andalites for his brother for giving these humans the morphing technology. Like, how how much more shit can you put Axe through? <laughs> I love him so much. Oh. oh, sucks. It all sucks. I'm so mad at Jake. It does all suck. But you're right. Like, I loved this scene. I love that Axe did all of this. Like... I love that he was angry. I love that he turned back to him and said, you're not acting correctly, and I will never do this again, just so you know. (laughs) Especially because Jake is his prince, and he will do whatever his prince says, but, like, now he's drawing the line, and I'm just like, ugh! Yeah. And he never drew that line when he sat with Rachel and trapped David. Yeah. He never said that. He... He and Rachel kind of had that weird moment where they talked about it, didn't talk about it at the end of that book. Yeah. But he never got mad and he never did this. And this is the moment where Axe is like, you are completely out of line asking me this. Oh, like, uh, it's just another condition of this war, like, wearing on them. And this is how it's wearing on Axe. Axe is finally starting to draw those boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> On the one yeah. hand, I'm just like, good for you, baby. Good for you. <laughs> but it's I it's mean, all it's not, yeah. It's it's kind of the first conversation that we have that they then very overtly shove in our faces later of the good versus evil, where like Axe is like he's a good guy that's willing to do some evil things in the name of good, mm-hmm. but there's you know, it's not black and white. There's so much gray, but Axe is saying this is the moment where it is inappropriate for me. And we've seen Cassie do this. We've seen Rachel do this with David. (laughs) We've seen a lot of the other characters go through this, but Axe has never had this moment to say, this is my boundary Mm -hmm. until now. Yeah. So, oh, it was such a good moment. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then again, just taking the hit once again. Taking the hit for his brother, taking the hit for Jake. Like <laughs> Everybody just walks over him, and he always gets in. They do. And he always has and to like, be the, the one who shows himself. And ugh. He does, but like the the whole other part of this that's so I guess impressive to me is like Axe is so willing to give up everything to do the right thing. Like to protect his friends, to protect his brother, to, to protect his prince. Mm-hmm. He's willing to like look like the fool all of the time. Like I I don't know. That just knowing Andalite society, that's such an impressive quality to me. Like it's almost more impressive than anything Jake has ever done as a leader. Yeah. And just just being from such a different background as the others and how he knows he's going to be received after the war is over and he's he's like he's not going really gonna belong to the Andalites anymore because he's like too yeah. involved with the humans and he's not going to have like a place and oh I hate it. Oh. Well even if he did go back there and somehow like you know get in with the Andalites again and like you know assimilate back into their culture they are so unaccepting of anybody who's ever fucked up and he yeah. has on the books oh fucked God. up three or four times even though it's never been his fault. Yeah. Oh. Axe giving up everything. Fuck everybody else giving up everything. Axe is the real guy giving up everything. Mm. Like, yeah, Marco killed his mom. Big <laughs> fucking deal. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> uh. So much baggage, and I hate it. Yeah. I hate it, but I was so happy that Axe got mad. Yeah, I did too. So. Yeah, anyways, I guess we'll continue, because we could just talk about how good Axe is forever. <laughs> the Axe cast. The Axe cast. Axe cast. The Anna Axe uh, pod Axe cast Axe. Axe cast? There we go. Anyways, uh, Axe has to play this terrible and late warrior that is threatening Chapman. And um, in this final acting moment, he includes Jake so that Jake has to listen to what he's saying. And he's basically telling Chapman, like, let me know what I want to know or I'll kill you. I'll leave you to die of Kendrona starvation and your host body's hunger will also affect you. And um, he tells Chapman, like, the choice is yours. And Chapman apparently will still not give any information. So Axe says, fine, and then crunches over that glass again to let Chapman know that there's glass there to cut his bonds. And uh, then Axe goes in and morphs to Osprey, takes off, and they head back home. Axe asks him, asks Jake when they will be leaving, and Jake goes, like, noon tomorrow. But Jake's like, I have a plan that only involves me. Only I will have to kill Tom, and none of the other Animorphs will get involved. I don't know why Jake thought he had it to had to add that but he did i don't know this is my burden this is my burden alone so jake faces his eight hour hour car ride to his grandpa g's cabin and their dad initially tries to engage them with forced questions but both he and tom are just like not having it having it so their dad's like i give up and then jake falls asleep until they stop to get some burgers and french fries that were terrible 
Um, and then they continue on their way to the cabin. Finally, they turn onto a gravel driveway deep in the woods, and as they're crunching up the drive, a mouse scurries out in front of their car, only to be caught by a hawk. And then they make some comment like, survival of the fittest. Um, they pull up to the house, everybody is fussed over and fed, and then they sit them on the back porch to relax after their long, difficult drive. And Jake's mom makes a comment like, I just can't believe Grandpa G isn't here anymore. He loved this place. And Tom makes some sort of asinine reply about how, yeah, he loved it because he loved to get away because some people can't handle war. Wow. Everybody's like, Everyone's like, excuse you? Really, Tom? Really? And, like, Tom's like, ah, that was a stupid comment. I don't know why I said it. And everybody's like, okay, we'll just let it go. Yeah, (laughs) seriously, Tom. Wow, that was a little bit obvious. Uh, Yeah. Jake is still watching and waiting for Tom to make a move. Okay, here we go. Into two chapters that are a little difficult to get through. Um, so Jake and Tom are upstairs in this room where they will be sharing this weird room. And uh, Jake starts going through Grandpa G's footlocker and kind of reminiscing about the one time out of two that... Uh, they heard stories about the war and how brutal it was. Um, and Jake starts trying to like jog Tom's memory. Like, do you remember when he told us about how brutal the war was? Do you remember about the specific battle? And then it finally leads to him telling Tom the story about how the soldiers and he said foxholes in his trenches, the soldiers in the trenches started singing Silent Night on Christmas Eve, and both of the sides could hear each other across this no-man's land, and so they started singing together in English and German. And it created this famous night of temporary truce where all of the soldiers came out to no-man's land and started sharing cigarettes and stories and whatever provisions they had, and it was a very strange night. and they suspect as many as uh, two-thirds of this, the entire population of soldiers in this war actually participated in this weird overnight truce. This is in real life. Um, I was a little confused on this, though, because that happened in World War One, And it seemed like everything else that we are hearing is World War Two. Yeah. So... Um, I don't know. It it was a little weird. I couldn't quite figure out which one his great-grandpa is in. But it would make sense, being a kid in the 90s, that his great-grandfather would be World War One and his grandfather would be World War II. Uh, I guess so. Like, there's... Uh, God, there's a lot of age in here. Like, there's a lot of play in these ages that we could really argue about but um i guess it is possible i don't know yeah um yeah i don't know that's interesting though it it was interesting it's um the next thing that happens is like tom doesn't take the bait on any of that but he does notice a dagger in the footlocker and he snags it he pulls it out it's a nazi dagger it's stamped with ss on it um and I'm pretty sure that is a World War II thing, not a World War One thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I mean the not, not yeah, that the Nazis were not that 
yeah, the Nazis were there, but they weren't as big as a faction. Like, it, it's not something you'd immediately take and think, oh, this is a World War One thing, because that was more fought between different peoples. Yes, the Nazis were still involved, but that was a very kind of different war. So, anyways, I don't know um, that, or if they were trying to kind of play with the details and mush them all together into World War Two because they said, like, foxholes, because there wasn't as much trench warfare in World War Two. I don't know. I don't know. This is a very confusing thing. But the actual story, that, like, that's just, I don't know for anyone who doesn't know this, I assume most people do, but that makes an ass out of you and me, so I'll go ahead <laughs> and explain it. Um, yeah, that, that's the Christmas night truce was an actual thing that happened in World War One, and uh, it was pretty astonishing to everybody that was involved. Um, and then the reason that this story has always stuck out to me so much and I think applied to this book more than anything else is because after that truce where they came out and laughed together and had a great time and shared food and story and song and and this night of comfort amongst this war that was so horrific and was just brutal in every way with uh, people starving and freezing and, you know, the countries not being able to feed their troops. Those guys met together in the middle, had that one night, and then separated and started killing each other the next day. Like, the people that they just had dinner with, they then went and shot mm -hmm. right afterwards. Like, it's this insane story. Yeah. Like, it's true, and it's just so crazy. So, like, it just... it. Not to say that something that profound is... Um, as important as a children's book, but there are echoes of this, I think, all over Animorphs of Jake dealing with his brother and having these moments where it's somebody that you shared a lot with and then you have to fight them. Mm -hmm. Like, I just think that that was a really interesting parallel between the two. Yeah. So. <sighs> Anyways, I'll stop bitching about war uh -huh. and uh, move on down. I just, I read All Quiet on the Western Front recently, and it just really kind of... I don't know. I mean, I knew about the story long before that, but that really kind of solidified World War One in my mind for me. Sure. But anyways, um, Jake starts talking about how his grandpa was a really... Great-grandpa, sorry, was a really honorable man, and how he was very focused on, you know, propriety and honor and doing the right thing. And Tom just is, like brutal to jake he's just like you're a child none of this matters nothing about good or honorable matters until after you win the battle only the winners talk about that shit um he's just like and straight up being a yerk right now he is like he's not the yerk isn't even trying to yeah be they're Tom. having a face-to-face -face conversation right now and it's really jarring it is. It, it's especially jarring because it really feels like a physical change of, oh, Tom, the whole facade of Tom is dropped. Mm -hmm. This is just, you are talking to the enemy right now. Yeah. But yeah, so he's like, you know, talking about like, you do whatever it takes to get done. And Jake kind of, I think Jake immediately realizes what's going on. And he 
tries not to give anything away while still trying to get through to Tom saying like, you know, good people might do evil things, but that doesn't make them evil. And Tom just keeps mocking him and saying like, you don't know anything. You're a child. You're such a, like, you don't know shit. You're just a baby. You don't know right from wrong. Everything's black and white to you. You don't understand that there's, you know, gray and Jake in his head is going like, of course I understand that, but I'm not going to tell him that. (laughs) Um, And then eventually after their fight kind of peters out, they go back to their separate beds and Jake compares it to like, these are separate foxholes. Yeah. Metaphors! Metaphors. Um, Then, because it wasn't quite pounded into our heads hard enough, Jake falls asleep into a fitful dream where he's hiding in a trench, freezing. Again, I think they say foxhole. I'm correcting it. It would be trench. (laughs) Um, He's wondering if he has ever been warm or ever eaten a warm meal. And then he starts interacting with the other soldiers in his dreams. And it's Christmas night. They say they can hear singing, you know, from the enemy lines. And this talk is interrupted by a soldier coughing. And... Jake goes, oh, it's pneumonia most likely. He should be evacuated, but no one's taken away now. Uh, And then he tells the old joke, like, even if you die, you have to be back at the front in three days. Um, And this kid that's coughing asks Jake to write the letter for him when he dies. And Jake's like, what? And he's like, oh, I know that's not how it normally goes, but, you know, you know me. I want you to tell my parents that I died, not somebody that's never met me. And Jake says something like, I'm not the postal service. You can mail or you can tell him yourself when you get home. And the kid just replies, Merry Christmas. And then Jake says something back to him like, I think I can hear the enemy singing now too. And that's when this guy named Matthews says, Yerks don't sing. And then appears at Jake's side and plunges the Nazi dagger into his heart. And Jake wakes up gasping, realizing Tom's gone and so is the dagger. So... Jake pulls on some sweatpants and rushes downstairs. He can see his mother down there, but no Tom, and his father is gone as well. So he sneaks out of the cabin, and he can see them on the dock with their feet in the water, having a heart-to-heart conversation where Tom is apologizing about his behavior. Um, But Jake can also see when Tom moves the glint of the dagger in his back pocket, and Jake realizes he has to act right now to save his dad. So he starts stalking down towards them, morphing to Tiger as fast as he can, and knowing that he will have to kill Tom, because Tom will piece together who he is if he doesn't eliminate him. Um, Suddenly, the entire dock collapses and folds up like an accordion on itself. Jake's dad is, like, you know, dipped into the water over there, and uh, Tom is kind of separated, then splashing down to the water. The dock is completely ruined, and then... Uh, they see Jake's dad getting dragged under the water. He's, like, kind of bobbing under and getting dragged further and further away. And then they see a fin appear above the water, and Jake is kind of like, a fin in a mountain lake? What could this possibly be? (laughs) A dolphin in my mountain lake? (laughs) Not my mountain lake. Um, Yeah. So Tom's, like, turning in the water, trying to keep his eye on where their dad is going, but... Their dad's being dragged away, and then Tom gets hit in the back, slammed into the boards of the dock, and gets knocked out fucking cold. Jake wants to run to Tom, knowing that the tiger could swim and get to him, but Jake freezes. 
And then somebody orders him to demorph because he's out in the open. And he's just relieved that somebody is telling him what to do. So he starts following the orders and demorphing. Um, he realizes then that his entire team is here to back him up. And eventually his dad makes it to shore, but he had been dragged, like, way far down the lake and had to, like, swim up there. And Jake has already run down over to where Tom is. Somebody pushed him up towards the shore, uh, but Jake drags him out the last few feet and sits next to him. And it's at that point that Jake notices that Tom's leg is completely messed up. Like, there is an extra joint where there should not be a joint. And so Jake starts yelling to call for an ambulance. And Tom looks at him... And this is a moment where we see Tom more than the Yerk, and Tom starts warning him to get away, like, get away from me, get get out of here. And Jake refuses. Jake says, I'm going to stay by your side. <laughs> and he does until the medevac helicopter appears. Brother, my brother. <laughs> oh, my God, no. No. Sorry. How dare I'm you? I'm sorry, I had to. <laughs> I'm moving on from that. Um, the next morning, Jake's dad gets a phone call from Jake's mom, and it's recapped to us that Tom had to be medevaced to the hospital because there was a complex break in his leg, and they needed specialty stuff by their house to fix it. And they're like, wow, what a dink! That's crazy. Uh, so the adults go to get coffee, and Jake goes outside. And after a moment, he makes his hand gesture like, well? And uh, Tobias is like, yeah, yeah, we're right over here. So he walks over, and his whole team is, like, waiting just off in the woods for him. And they explain how they did everything. Cassie went to whale, and she, you know, had to go break the dock without getting beached. And Rachel and Axe went to Dolphin, and the Chi were the medevac guys, and also, I guess, covering for the Animorphs, who had been living in a shitty abandoned hunting cabin, and everybody's mad except for Tobias, who's just been gorging himself on rats that they found there. And also, Axe is extremely pleased about the very large spiders they found in there. <laughs> it's a whole thing. Oh it's like... like Rachel's like, we needed a vacation anyway. Like, everybody is pleased that they are in this cabin, but no more so than Axe and Tobias. They are the most pleased. But yeah, so they're explaining the whole thing to them. Uh, And then how the Chi took, you know, they were the medevac guys and they brought Tom back home. And so he could be by the Yerks and have his leg fixed and blah, blah, blah. Um, Finally, Jake asked where Marco is. And Cassie's like, well, he didn't think that you'd want to see him right away. And so Jake calls him out, and he's not far away behind some trees. And uh, that's about when Jake takes him aside and says, like, hey, if I'm ever losing it again or getting, you know, too close to the situation to make these calls. uh, And Marco interrupts him and says, you'll kick my ass. And Jake kind of laughs. He goes, no, 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 I'll listen to you, and then I'll kick your ass. And so, like, they have this moment where, like, They are friends again, but then Jake starts asking, like, so wait, like, what was your plan if Tom didn't expose himself? Because, like, you needed to get to Tom no matter what. How would you have gotten to Tom, like, in there? And um, Marco's like, well, we knew that we had an objective, and it was that we couldn't let you die, and we couldn't let your dad die because we knew you'd lose it if your dad died, so we had to protect both of you, and... Um, it eventually his explanation leads into how the only expendable person in Marco's plan was Tom. 
And then Tom starts to, or Marco starts to talk about how they would have eliminated Tom and Jake stops him and he goes, I don't need to know this part of the plan. Uh, and that's when Jake realizes like, this is now the conversation that he has with his best friend. It's not like who would win in a fight, Batman or Superman or whether cheese tastes yellow or green or what girl has a crush on them. It is now a conversation about how he would kill his brother. Whee! Yeah. So, um, that's their moment of levity. Because we end the book on this chapter that starts at the wake on Sunday and goes through the funeral on Monday and how Jake cried during the funeral and the Nazi dagger was lost in the lake. They didn't try to retrieve it. Jake's grandmother gave, uh, or yeah, Jake's grandmother gave him his grandpa G's medals from the war, his like purple heart and something or other. And, um, he said he wanted, he wanted Jake to have them. So Jake then has this inner turmoil where he contemplates how he understands a lot more about Grandpa G now that he's in this secret war and the whole reluctance to talk about the war. And, and Jake says that if they ever get out of this, he doesn't think that he will talk about the war all that often because he doesn't want to relive it. And the whole reason that his great-grandpa didn't display these medals was because they reminded him of the horrible things that had happened to him and that he had done. And, uh... Jake thinks that if there are ever medals for people fighting this war against the Yerks, he won't want to display them either. And uh, he ends on the note of thinking about how one day he may need a footlocker as well. Yay! Is this book. Uh, was this a really short book or was it just me? Oh my god, it took so long though! No, I know, but like, I, I feel <laughs> like I tore through it and it didn't feel like it was... Yeah really that long i just like sped through it i agree that it felt like a very short book um and i the chapters were i think even shorter than usual like they were very quick but there was so much jam-packed in every chapter that it took me forever to write the notes but if i was just straight reading yes like the page count was I think similar. It was like 138, and normally we're in like the low 140s, 150s. But, yeah, it just felt shorter. There's just a lot more space. (sighs) Yeah. But, man, did it go through a lot. Oh, my God. Jake's books are just so tragic. Like... I mean, they're all tragic, but Jake's is always, I don't know. There's like a different flavor to them. Yeah, it's like that because he's the leader, we feel the extra weight of that responsibility when we read his mm-hmm. books. He was not a good leader in this book, though. <laughs> he wasn't and he was. Like, he he wasn't making the right calls. He wasn't thinking things through. But in the moments where he still had to use that gut reaction, uh-huh. he was still good when he did that. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't really making a lot of good calls in the the Jungle Book either, but that was more kind of, like, inexperienced. This was more yeah. deliberate. Kinda. Emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
I just I love that this book came right after the Marco book though just like the comparison mm-hmm. of how they reacted respectively just was like oh that was genius yeah Ugh. oh yeah I see there's I love that it came right after that book and I love that it was so radically different mm-hmm. from how Marco acted his whole book and how Marco thought about everything yeah um but I also really appreciated that there was a lot of echoes of Cassie's choice too. Like we, I didn't talk about it a lot in my notes, but there's a lot of um, times where they contemplate, why are we valuing the life of your dad, one person yeah. over the entire world? Mm-hmm. And like, that was something that Cassie actually said, like, how can we value him over everyone else? And it's like, well, Cassie, you, when you made this decision before, like, you valued one life over everybody too. And it's almost because she's struggling with it. She puts the question to Jake and gets mad at him when he can't answer either. So there's a lot of those little echoes. Um, And Tobias has a few moments like that too, where Tobias gets really kind of harsh when Jake is being self-deprecating. And that was interesting to see because that's, Tobias's hallmark usually, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's very self-deprecating. So to like it, it's almost like a lot there's so much pressure coming from Jake's dad and Tom and that situation. There was just as much pressure coming from his friends and his teammates and how they felt about things too. Yeah. And it was just it made everything ramp up to be this extremely emotional fast-paced book. Mm-hmm. Man, oh. yeah, it was intense. Yeah. Ugh. So, do you have uh, any other thoughts, or do you want to skip into character ratings Let's here? Let's go rate some characters. All right. Well, Jake. <laughs> I don't know. He just made so many bad calls. Yeah. He was so mean to his friends. Ugh. <laughs> oh. I don't know. I like. I loved him, and I didn't love him at the same time. Mm-hmm. I was just like. I wanted to shake him and be like, why can't you see? Uh, I think that's what all of his friends wanted to do, too. Yeah. Uh, but, like, everything he did, I also just understand so much. I don't know. Three and a half. All right. I'm going to give him a, a four, um, which may be the first time I've ever rated Jake higher than you have. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I agree. He made a lot of bad calls, but everything he did was understandable. Yeah. Um, And I just, I loved the moments towards the end where he was trying to get through to Tom, which we've seen him do before, but he was doing it in such a different way than we've ever seen. Like, I really appreciated that with his growth and with how he's changed, He's now trying to relate to Tom and it's going to be totally unsuccessful, right? Because it's like a guy that came back from war and is trying to reconnect with like his kids, but doesn't have the vocabulary anymore, but that's Jake going to Tom. And mm-hmm. like, I just love those extra layers that are added to that aspect. So that gives him an extra half point for me. Okay. Rachel. <laughs> uh. Not really in this book, but a solid player. Yeah, not so, really. four. 
I'm giving her a five because she was so fucking mad about those packages. <laughs> your favorite. <laughs> also, she's my favorite. I just really liked that whole like package rage she had going on that was never mentioned. Priorities. <laughs> yeah, but again, like not in this book really. Um, what about Tobias? Five. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Just such a good boy. Five for me. Oh. Yeah, he did great. Absolutely great in this book. So, and I'm really proud of him, as we talked about earlier, for just stepping into this role, not of a leader, but just kind of coming out of his shell and taking on responsibilities and just, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh. It's good. All right, Axe. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, five, because he did the bad thing and he didn't want to and he told Jake to, to fuck off and I loved it. Yeah. Five, he Ugh. knew that he was angry and he expressed it. <laughs> what will you He's... learn? Your actions have consequences. <laughs> uh, oh god. Anyway, uh, Marco. Nope. Sorry, Cassie first, then Marco. Cassie's uh, not really in this book either. Yeah, she kind of had the smallest role in this book. How the fuck did she turn into a whale in a lake? She's in a stream. I, I don't d- know. I don't know if I bought that. Like, 20 feet, that's like... A sperm whale is like... Or maybe... Does she do humpback? I don't remember. Oh, oh she humpback. doesn't have the sperm whale. So she did yeah, humpback. Yeah, she is humpback. Okay. I guess that could have happened. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. And we also don't know, like, how deep the lake was. Because there's that point, like, you know, 20 feet out where lakes drop off to, like, 40 feet deep all of a sudden. Yeah, true. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, well, she wasn't really in this book, but yeah. I like that she was able to pull the whale thing off. 3.25. <laughs> I'm i going to give her a two because I like some of the stuff she pulled off in this book, but she was the one that I thought the uh, ghostwriter got the least correct. Like, sure. her tone wasn't right. So uh-huh. I'm dinging her for that. I don't know. I feel like I would argue that I shouldn't do that because that's not Cassie's fault. It's the ghostwriter's fault. But then... Yeah, God, Cassie. That's a weird correct. way to argue. <laughs> so I'm just... I don't know what I just said. Did I say three or two? I two. Two. Yeah, I'll stick by my two. Okay. All right, Marco. <laughs> oh, I think Marco gets a five. Yeah. For just... Taking, taking all that and... And having to make hard calls and ugh. Yeah. Ah! He did so good. God he did damn. so good in this book. Ugh. Hate them all. Oh my god. I love them all. He did. And like he has this newfound edge to him that I love. Oh it's just something broke inside that boy and I'm just so sad. Yeah, it's depressing but man it's compelling mm. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> just, i'm gonna cry Ugh, no crying know. no crying no crying all right do we we rated them we rated them good yeah we did it oh I'm, man I'm losing steam a little bit i know me too it's just so this book is just so depressing it is oh well uh. Any last thoughts or should we wrap this guy up? 
wrap it. All right. Uh, if you want to tell us about how World War One and World War Two are different, you can email us <laughs> at anonymousanimorphs at gmail.com. And if you want to post it for the world to see, you can go on Facebook and find us at Animorphs Anonymous or join our super secret, super awesome group, the Andalite Bandalites, which is facebook.com slash group slash Animorphs Anonymous. If you want to look at pictures that I make that are real dumb, those are on Instagram <laughs> at Animorphs Anonymous. If you want to go on Twitter, you can do that. It's at Animorphs Anon. <laughs> Twitter has not been updated for like three months. I'm so sorry. But I did the other day make this really lonely post for my account, which I, I realized it. I've only retweeted things for the past like two years. And I was like, here's a unique tweet. Check out my podcast. <laughs> Anyways, that's us. And we have a website. We have a website, animorphsanonymous.com. Yeah, that hasn't been updated in forever. I'll work on that one day. Someday. Anyways, Casey, where can they find us? They can find us wherever podcasts are available, including but not limited to iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. It's happening. There we are. Yeah. Boom. Tell me about your comic. I have a webcomic. It is called Beside You. It's about music and romance. It's really, really cute. And you can find that at BesideYouComic.com. That's B-S-I-D-E-Y-O-U-Comic.com. Please read it. I love you. Dabs. And it's not nearly as awesome as all of our singing was throughout this podcast. <laughs> it it does so have similar notes. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's way better. Our singing's real bad. We gotta we gotta work on that. Yeah, I apologize. It's not a karaoke podcast. I don't apologize. Fuck that. We're putting our talents up for the worlds to hear. <laughs> Talent agents, we're available to sing for you at anonymous animals <laughs> at anonymous. At <laughs> Dear God. Uh, oh shit. Oofta. Uh, all right. Um. I am so excited for the next book. Oh, God. And I will not tell you why. Is it because it's Rachel? I mean, that's part of it. Is this the starfish book? <laughs> <laughs> she just cackles. <laughs> it might be. It might be. Okay. Okay. Well, shit. Uh, let me awkwardly starfish away. To the next book. <laughs> whoop, 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 whoop. Goodbye. I'm Good- starfishing. Goodbye. Goodbye.